Beyond all men 
Take them out of their holders. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, the Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit. And so we unsheathe the sword so that we can allow it to do its work in our hearts and in our lives. And I hope each of you have a Bible. It's very important that you follow me uh, in the Word of God. Things that you can probably uh, look up and relate to later at a later date. I'm probably not going to hold you very long. Uh, for a number of reasons this morning, but there are a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Uh, 
you know, I, I, I've spent time in the Gospel of Luke, and I've kind of I've looked over uh, and kind of bypassed the announcement of Christ's birth and the Christmas narrative found in Luke 1. Uh, and I've, I've not included the Magnificat of Mary, which is in Luke, the first chapter, uh, in the 46th, and, or the 40, 46th through the 56th verse. I reminded you of Mary's humility before the Lord and what that humility brought to her as becoming a vessel of the Lord. I think you find that in Luke, the first chapter, the 38th verse. And I haven't included Elizabeth's blessing, uh, which is found in Luke 1, 41 through 45. And I didn't, uh, I didn't consult much with Zechariah's prophecy concerning uh, Christ. And, and each of those are messages in themselves, but some of them are considered seasonal messages, and I won't, I won't cover that. No, I've, I've skipped ahead briefly to discuss Jesus' temptation in the wilderness in Luke 4. And I've told you that, that what Jesus was tempted with after his baptism, after he received the anointing of the Holy Spirit at his baptism, after a voice of he from heaven had spoken and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, or hear ye him. Uh, I've, I've gone on beyond that even to tell you that Jesus, his temptation was with the things that you and I face on a daily basis, every day. Uh, the things that he showed us and that the scripture shows us uh, that he was victorious over were the appetites of the flesh, pleasure, power, material wealth, and, and the different things that appeal to our physical, our carnal side, the, the fleshly part of ourselves. And, and we also know the scripture tells us that you're going to do battle with your flesh as long as you live. Because you have to keep your flesh crucified with Christ. So it's not a sin, understand when I say this, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin, uh, like, like uh, uh, Luther said, Martin Luther, he said, you know, the enemy can't force you to do anything. All he can do is suggest. And when those suggestions come to your mind, I know as a young man, when I was growing up and, and new in my faith, I had all kinds of things going through my mind, and it terrified me, the things that were going through my mind, the temptations, the thoughts, the the different things that, uh, that tormented me because it made me doubt my salvation. I thought, well, if I'm a child of God, why am I having these thoughts? Why am I being tempted in this way? Why are these things happening to me? And a lot of Christians don't live victorious lives uh, because they think that, that because they have a bad thought or because they find themselves tempted in a moment, that, that that proves or that shows that they're not the children of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because Jesus set the example for us for what we would fight in our relationship to make sure that our relationship with the Father remained intact. And the way that he overcame those thoughts, the way that he overcame those suggestions, we all know, was by the Word of God. Why? Because we're a people who live by faith, not by sight. In other words, we take God's Word literally, and we say to ourselves, okay, if God says this is going to come to pass, then it's going to come to pass, and I believe it. If, if, if the Lord told Paul that, that he would deliver him from every evil attack and deliver him safely into his kingdom, he does, you know, he's not a respecter of persons. That promise remains true for every born-again child of God as long as you want to remain in God's care. Amen. And the way that we remain in God's care is by refusing the things of this world. My father told me one time many years ago, I was fighting these struggles. And my mom and dad, of course, have always been my counselors when I was growing up and beyond. 
And I was complaining about these things that were going on in my head. Anybody have a, a thought life that, that you battle with? Or am I the only one? Okay, let's be real, let's be honest, you know, because God already knows. And, and, and I can share with you that these things passed through my mind, and I told my dad, I said, Dad, uh, what's happening? And he told me, he said, you know what, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And nothing, that statement has stuck with me all through my life, so that when those thoughts or those temptations or those things came my way, then I would remember that that's not sin. That's simply the battle that I'm engaged in with my flesh to keep my flesh subject to God. And the way that I keep my flesh subject to God is when those thoughts come, I remind myself of the promises of God regarding His faithfulness towards me. When He said, I'm not going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you, but I'm going to be with you always, always. Wherever you go, whatever you do, is God mindful of us in our thought life? Absolutely. Is he always pleased? Probably not. And, and I can share with you that sometimes we, when those thoughts come, instead of getting rid of them like we should, we let them linger. Don't let them linger. Pass them on. Get them out of the way. Remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. Call upon the name of the Lord. And I'll share with you, if you'll begin to praise the Lord when those things happen, it'll be amazing to you how quickly those thoughts leave. Amen? As you begin to praise the Lord. I skipped ahead briefly. And I've briefly touched on many things in regards to the Gospel of Luke, but, but we should understand that the, the imperatives of Luke's portrayal, in my view, is to give insight into God's intention, not only to provide a way back to fellowship through his sacrificial death and the shedding of his innocent blood, and to declare the return of rightful authority and rule through the establishment and the announcement of his kingdom coming in power. We all understand that the kingdom of God comes with power, right? Yes. It's not just a phrase. It's not something that we just, a label that we use. It's a, it, it's, it indicates something, an activity of God. It indicates God's activity among his people. His people are the citizens of the kingdom of God. And what this does, when you speak about the kingdom of God, you're talking about God's rightful authority being exercised in his kingdom among his citizens. And his authority and his power are absolute. That there is nothing in going on in your life. There is nothing happening in your body. <laughs> there is nothing happening that God's not aware of. And that God is not the master of. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. I don't care if it's finances. I don't care if it's politics. I don't care if it's relational issues. I don't care if it's disease. I don't care what it is. There is nothing that God is not the master of. And we can have confidence that with that realization, no matter what I'm faced with, the Scripture says, in all things, give God praise. So I praise God that I have no knees. I praise God that I have trouble breathing. I praise God that I don't feel good 99% of the time. <laughs> I praise God that I, that I squeak when I walk. I praise God that, that, that it's hard for me to get my day started in the morning. It's, I praise God that, that sometimes I just don't have a lot of pizzazz is the word. I think that the kids probably don't know if the kids still use that word or not. Daughter told me yesterday I was old. And, and I know I'm old, but pizzazz is still pizzazz. And I don't have a whole lot of that anymore. But I praise God anyhow. Why? Because I know, because I know, because I know that I am the redeemed of the Lord. My sins are forgiven. My, my sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And that I am tarrying in this body, though the house has fallen apart. 
I'm carrying in this body until Jesus comes to take me home. Amen. Amen. And I'm no longer going to hurt. Huh? I'm, no, I'm going to breathe freely and that day comes. I'm going to walk about. I'm going to shout. I'm going to have a good time in the Lord when all these ailments and all these issues are gone. There'll be no more relational, no more relationship uh, issues. There'll be no more monetary issues. There'll be no more battle with your flesh. Those won't exist anymore because you're going to be in your glorified body. You're going to be perfected in Christ Jesus. You're going to be what God intended for you to be in your creation. And that was a vessel of praise and worship and honor towards Him. See, that's what we strive for as citizens of the kingdom of God. To be returned to that place where these vessels are absolutely dedicated to the worship and the promotion of God and His authority in the world. Amen. Don't you love celestial events? Where are you going with that? Don't you love the things that happen in the heavens? Uh, I've seen things in... in and uh, that when, when in my process of growing up and living, I've seen things I didn't understand that were happening in the heavens, but I'm not worried about it. And I, and I know that, that what's amazing to me, isn't it wonderful? How many were in town this weekend? Did you notice how crowded the town was? Did you know that people were flying in from everywhere? That all the motels were full? That all the restaurants were packed? We drove by the griddle? The other day I had to come into town yesterday and literally there was, a, there was a line coming out and down the block of people waiting to eat. I'd rather go home and have my wife fry me eggs than to stand in a line like that. And, and, but they were standing in line out there. We drove by the sand dunes coming into town. And, and when I come by the sand dunes there, that's where I live. And I mean the dunes were covered with people with telescopes and, and all, kinds of, all kinds of nonsense out there. They had their tents and their canopies set up because they were, going to, they were going to witness a marvelous celestial event. When I thought about it, I said, God, send your cloud and cover it up. And he did. So all those people, I'm sorry, that sounds mean, doesn't it? All those people spent all that. Do you know that the money that was spent this weekend... That, that people spent to come and watch a natural event that has occurred for thousands of years. And they came and they spent, did you know the money they spent? We could have built a new church and bought property too. Huh? Isn't that something? And yet, you know, they're so fascinated by these celestial events. And I like them too, but I didn't waste my time going out and buying sunglasses so I could watch the moon pass in front of the sun. You know, come on. Uh, I'm going to ride the moon one of these days, you know. <laughs> I say that facetiously. I don't know whether we'll be able to do that or not. But, but uh, the issue is, is, you know, celestial events are important, aren't they? Don't put up their 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. I'm sharing that with you because there's another celestial event coming. Oh, yeah. Going to be more exciting than the ring of fire solar eclipse. Be far more exciting than anything this world has ever seen. But unfortunately, the part that troubles me is nobody's going to spend a whole lot, a lot of money in anticipation of it. Because we have preachers. I'm looking for the day when I'm out of a job. I, I long for the day where I don't have to preach anymore. I long for the day when God's people get it. When they finally realize that there's only one thing that's important. There's only one thing that matters. And that is that we serve the Lord with purity and devotion. Because soon and very soon, our King is coming after us. That's a celestial event. Amen? It won't do you any good to put a telescope out there. 
won't do any good to buy a motel room because you won't use it. It won't do you any good to do all the things that the world is doing and spend all that money because when it happens, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. The scripture says that Jesus is going to come. Did you, did you put that up there for me? I lost track, sorry. First, first Thessalonians, 4th chapter in the 13th through the 18th verse. Okay. Follow me in the word of God. That's all right. We're all allowed to lose track. I do that often. Paul told the church at Thessalonica. Now, what was the situation in Thessalonica? Well, these were new Christians. And, and being new Christians, they were uninformed. And, and in the world that we live in today, I, I read something uh, this week. I, I don't know if it was Rabbi Khan or who it was, but something to the effect that, that God's people are no longer being discipled. No, it may have been Christianity today. God's people are no longer being discipled. Why? Why aren't they being discipled? Because there's no hunger. There's no hunger for the Word of God. There's nothing there that would call them to that level of devotion. They're willing to go through with sacrificing a little bit of time to go to church, but they're not willing to devote themselves so totally that they are discipled in the Word of God and that their house, their spiritual house, has solidity and it's structured correctly because it's founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ. But you can't build your spiritual house if you don't build your house upon the rock. You have to be familiar as you dig through the stuff that's not necessary till you get down to the solid rock and you set your faith on that solid rock and that solid rock is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now being a builder in, in my days growing up and even in recent years until my body gave up we had to dig down to get the solid. We had to dig down to make sure that when we set a foundation it was deep enough to where it wasn't affected by the frost and that you were down to where solid ground was so that that foundation would endure. I remember many times when my dad, he did this to me often. He'd set me out digging with a pick and a shovel while he drank coffee. <clears throat> That's not true. That's not true. He was building while I was doing this. And I'd get out and we'd dig and finally I got to a point one foundation here recently Several years ago, I, I was digging and digging and digging and digging. I couldn't get past. I couldn't get down. And I told Dad, I said, Dad, we got to do something. So he sent me down. We rented a jackhammer to go in there to jackhammer that material out so we could get it down to the level where we knew that that foundation would last. It was work. It was hard. The person we were building for, it was amazing, they came up while we were building, or the relative of one of the persons we were building for, walked up and, and seen us out there working and felt so bad for us that they came out and hugged us. <laughs> you know, we must have looked pitiful. I'm not kidding you. We had sweat was pouring and we had that look of labor upon our faces, you know. And we were having a rough time of it. But listen to me. The spiritual house that you're building, Jesus said that you build your house upon the rock. If you're going to get to the rock, you've got to dig. If you're going to get to the rock, you've got to put effort in it. You've got to get past all the demands that you think are important in life. Young people, hear me. I'm telling you right now that the things that are important to you now, weigh them in light of the fact that soon you're going to see your king. Paul told the church at Thessalonica because they were concerned about the people who had died in the interim between Paul's ministry and the founding of the church and, and the fact that Jesus had not come yet. They were concerned that the people that, that had died, what, what's going to happen to them, Paul? Are they, just, are they going to miss out on the second coming of the Lord? 
And Paul wanted to reassure them. He said, therefore, he said, we don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now, that metaphor is used for people who are dead, people who are in the grave. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the, de as the rest who have no hope. You know, when, when I've done so many funerals in this town, I, I have lost count. And, and doing the number that I've done, a number of them I've done for young people. I've done some for committed for young people that committed suicide. I've done some for, for those that were Christians and people that, that knew the Lord. And the outstanding difference between the two is one is a hopeless situation and the other one is filled with hope. Because you know that when you leave this world, as a child of God, that God has a place prepared for you and that you're going to meet Him there and that when you die, you pass through a portal. There's a door that you go through and Jesus is on the other side of that door. If you have a faith in Jesus Christ and He welcomes you and says, Welcome home, my beloved. That's what I'm looking forward to. Those that don't have that hope, they're the ones that grieve. They're the ones that feel that heavy sense of loss. We miss the ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. Naturally we do, and we grieve to some degree, but our grief is centered in hope because we know that we will see them again. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many believe that Jesus died and rose again? How many know that Jesus died and rose again? Not a doubt in your mind. How many know that He lives today? How many know that He's seated at the right hand of the Father, talking about you to God right now and interceding on your behalf? Those are the things that we hope in. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those that are asleep, those that are in the grave, those that are, are, are resting in the presence of the Lord. When Jesus comes to take the church home, those that have gone before us are going to come with Him and we're all going to ascend into the air to be with the Lord forevermore. Can you say amen? amen. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. You might as well know that. That's what the Scripture says. Those that have gone before us are going to rise first in a glorified body. And we're going to go with them to meet the Lord in the air forevermore to be with Jesus. That's a celestial event. Amen. Because it says He's going to appear in the eastern sky. Which way is east? That's east, isn't it? Over this way. Huh? And it's going to come and we're going to hear a shout and a loud command. And I think the command is going to be like it was for Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. But in this sense, Jesus is going to shout, or the archangel is going to shout and say, come forth. And all those who have died in Christ are going to rise out of their graves. Glory to God, hallelujah, in a glorified body to be with Jesus. I don't know how the world's going to handle that. I think it's going to be a little bit difficult for them. And it's going to cause all those science fiction movies and all those horror pictures to, to pale in light of what they're going to experience when the, the dead in Christ rise first. He says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We pulled into a <coughs> stoplight here not long ago. And this kid pulled up next to us with those mega bass things in the back of his car. And my car was literally vibrating. And I thought, 
How can you enjoy that? You know that nobody else, nobody else is around. You can't hear. And, and people that, it's annoying to us old folks, you know, to have the car vibrate like that. And we're not doing the vibrate and it bothers us, doesn't it? Huh? And so, you know, the, the thing of it is, I thought, you know, that's ridiculous. To have music that loud, you're damaging your ears. They even had a study that said that young people were losing their hearing because of their music. <coughs> How can you understand the words when you've got the throb going on? And I'm also going to tell you that that is a form of pagan worship. That was one of the things that they centered on was the throb and the beat of the drum. Boom, 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 boom. It's no different today. No different today. Most of the kids that I know don't even know what the words to the music are from any of the songs because they can't understand them. But it's the throb, the boom, 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 boom that causes a visceral response. Your body responds to it. Your flesh responds to it. We need to be careful. I'm not being hyper-spiritual. I'm telling you the truth. These are realities that we need to be aware of. We're fighting a spirit in this world that we're living in today that is poisoning a whole generation. Not only of young people, but you and I as adults, we're being poisoned because we've allowed too much of the culture of the time that we live in to impact and to stain our lives to the degree sometimes that we forget that we're called to speak kingdom language, that we're not to speak the kingdom or speak the, the, the language of the world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. He said, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Next verse. Therefore. Now, like I've told you so many times, when I was young, when Dad would talk about the coming of the Lord, I'd think, now wait. I'm not ready. i got things I want to do in this life. I want, there's things I want to experience. There's things I want to, I want to go places. <laughs> I experienced those things and I went those places and what a disappointment. <laughs> what a disappointment. They weren't anything that I thought they were going to be. Never turned out like I thought, like I anticipated that they were going to be. And, and a lot of times they were filled with regret because I made bad choices during those seasons in my life. And, and I went the wrong places, did the wrong things. And, and to this day, even as a child of God, even though I know my sin debt has been paid, and I know that the slate has been wiped clean. I still have a regret in my mind and in my heart for those choices that I made when I was not serving the Lord. I would save everyone under the sound of my voice from living with those regrets if I could. I would do everything within my power to stop you from making the choices that would cause you to live with those regrets and with the sadness and with the heaviness that they bring. And, and, and the idea in your mind of, boy, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't made that choice. I wish I hadn't said those words. I wish I hadn't gone to that place. I wish I hadn't involved myself with this situation or that situation. I wish that I'd made better choices. I was called to ministry when I was 15 years old. And I, I immediately I was excited about it. And I, I even went to one of the bishops, the, the lead bishop, bishop of the church that we were a part of, and talked to him about it because I was excited about it. <clears throat> but as time progressed... I began to fade a little bit. I began, I lost some of my pizzazz, if you don't mind. I began to get back involved with the world again. And as I did, that, that call to ministry, which is the highest call that you can receive in this world. It's the highest call of privilege that you can receive. I told my father recently, I said, where are the young men and the young women 
who are saying, I feel a call to preach the gospel. I feel a call to serve the Lord. We're not hearing that much anymore. Because the world dominates them. Because the things of God are not valued the way that they should be. Because we fail to disciple our children. And we fail sometimes in our own discipleship. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where does that joy come from? <coughs> that joy comes... <coughs> I'm sorry. That joy comes from our devotion to the Lord. I got one. I pierced my heart. Thank you. But it says that we're to comfort one another with the realization that Jesus is coming soon. Do you find comfort in that? Yes. Young people, do you find comfort in that, that Jesus is coming soon? <coughs> then finding comfort in that means that, that when I find comfort in it, there's joy that follows. My Jesus is coming for me very soon. My Jesus is going to take me to be with Him. He's prepared a place for me, and it's very special. <coughs> it's only mine. I'm sorry, my lungs are not going to allow me to go much further. But I want to share with you what, what my purpose was this morning was to remind you that we're to comfort one another in the knowledge that soon and very soon we're going to see our King. Amen. Amen. All the evil. Is your heart grieved by the evil that you see going on around you? Does it bother you? That's going to pass away. And the promises of God are going to be fulfilled with you. I'm waiting. You've seen me, uh, and I close with this, but you've you seen me this morning. <clears throat> when we were singing that song, and I did this to my daughter. And you think, oh, the pastor's just playing up there. I'm not playing. Years ago when we pastored in Minnesota, that song stirred the hearts of about 70 youth. And when we would sing that song, the song leader that was leading the song would do this to the kids to get them involved. And I do that for Christians as a reminder. Remember? Remember? And the altars would fill up. These kids didn't even know what an altar was. They were raised in formal religions or even off the street. But spontaneously, spontaneously, as the Holy Spirit moved through the sanctuary, they would make their way to the altar. And they would weep and cry. They would, they would raise their hand towards heaven. What were they weeping and crying about? God made them to realize the depth of their sin and the fact that He gave Jesus to redeem them from that depth of sin and to give them life. And because of that, their brokenness, their humility before God brought such a great reward that all they could do was cry. All they could do was weep. Because of the goodness of God. Do you realize how good God is? Do you realize how much He loves you? Do you realize that you are absolutely the apple of His eye? That, that He watches you day by day, moment by moment? That He cares about what's going on in your life? That He cares about your relationships and where they're going or where they're not going? That He cares about your choices in life, those that are positive and those that are not? He cares about every issue of your life. We need to be aware of that and in that awareness that God would bring us to humility to where we submit ourselves before God and say, God, You are my God and beside You there is no other. Will you stand with me, please? <coughs> I apologize.
Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. This is in his second letter to the church at Thessalonica. Paul was talking about the Thessalonians as he discipled them, as he taught them, so that they could grow and mature in their faith, so that they could grow up to maturity. You know, when we talk about growing up, growing up also entails the idea of assuming responsibility for yourself. It entails the idea of of investing yourself to bring a profit or to bring an increase or to bring the things that are important to light. So, So understand that as you mature in your faith, you become the warrior that God intended for you to be. You're not a pew warmer. You're a warrior. And as a warrior, you go into the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Justin? Would you find out who's at the door and what they want, please? I'm sorry. Paul said, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. I know we've had a lot of distractions this morning, but don't let them bother you. That's part of having a street church or a church that's on the street. You remember that Jesus said in Isaiah 61 and then in Luke the fourth chapter, Jesus says, He said, I, the Spirit of the Lord rests upon me. And He began to list the things that the Spirit of the Lord rested upon Him for. And what Jesus was actually saying is that my Father has marked me out for these things. And He listed healing. He listed uh, healing the brokenhearted, healing the bodies, and ministering, providing salvation, and providing the things that, that were necessary, His reason for coming. Well, you're being told the same thing as the children of God as you continue in that ministry, and as you continue in that work. God has marked you out for a purpose. He's marked you out so that God can use you. But you've got to get your, your mind off yourself. And that's our biggest battle, isn't it? Thinking about ourselves. Thinking about what we need. Thinking about what we want. Thinking about uh, all the things that, that would interfere with a, a right relationship with the Lord. Dedicate your hearts. Remember that the pastor said this. We're comforted in the realization that soon and very soon we're going to see our King. But only those who prevail. Only those that, that endure are going to see His return. And that is those that have dedicated and those that are committed to serving Him and loving Him with everything that they are. There's nothing else in your life that's more important. No matter what you think it might be, there's nothing more important than you serving the Lord and loving Him with everything you are. Because I want you to be a part of that returning when He comes to receive us unto Himself. Amen? Amen. Everybody wants to be a part, right? I want you to be a part. I want to make sure we go there together. Praise God. Hallelujah. I apologize for my struggle, but and I didn't get into some of what I wanted to get into, but I want to thank you today. Thank you for your faithfulness for being here. <clears throat> and uh, for standing by us as we preach the Word of God, and I hope that something this morning has been said to be a blessing to you. Next week, I'll be better, I know. And uh, next week, you get, you get an hour and a half because I have to make up for the half hour I'm losing now. Amen? Praise God, hallelujah. I love you with all my heart. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And I'm thankful because you never 
ever fail. And in the sense that you fail my trust, I trust in you. And the trust that I have in you, I hope you have in me, that we'll pursue this thing together. And we'll be what God wants us to be in this community. Praise God. Hallelujah. Shall we pray together? <clears throat> Pastor Lee, would you lead us in prayer, please? Thanksgiving potluck, uh, first Sunday in November, and there's a sign-up sheet. Got a microphone, son. Yeah, I turned it off. I was too lazy to turn it back on. <laughs> the the first Sunday in November, we'll be having a potluck. Those are a lot of fun for us. So uh, there's a sign-up sheet out front. 